Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. The following sermon was delivered by Reverend Laurel Gray on December 15th, 2019. For information and links to readings or other materials referenced in the sermon, please check the show notes. Our reading this morning tells a more complete history of the story we just talked about a bit. This is from the book Jews, God, and History by the historian Max Dimont. And I'll give you the whole story as he tells it. Faced with an ultimatum by the Romans to get out of Egypt and with an uprising in Palestine, Antiochus thought it more prudent to vent his anger on the Jews. He marched his armies out of Egypt into Jerusalem, where he senselessly slaughtered 10,000 inhabitants without inquiring into their party affiliations. A new set of statues was installed in the temple, and a new set of high priests was appointed to tend to them. Just as Alexander the Great had invited the Jews to settle in his Greek cities, so Antiochus invited the pagans to come and settle in Jerusalem to dilute the Jewish population. Had Antiochus stopped there, the breach might have been healed. But unfortunately, his injured pride did not permit this. Out of sheer spite, he outlawed the Sabbath day and forbade circumcision. The Hasidian party whose members had been practically wiped out in the Seleucid reprisals now found adherence among those Jews who previously had stood for moderate Hellenization. A second uprising was inevitable. And again, a totally unforeseen event sparked it. In a little town outside Jerusalem, a Greek official attempted to force an aged Jewish priest named Mattathias to sacrifice to Greek gods. Rather than commit the sacrilege, Mattathias slew the official. Antiochus then ordered new reprisals, and the Jewish population rose en masse to the defense of Mattathias, who, with his five sons, now took over the conduct of the war. They became known as the Maccabees, from the Hebrew word for hammer because in battle after battle, they dealt hammer blows to the Seleucid armies. It was the beginning of a bitter war, a new kind of war, the world's first religious war, fought with grim determination, heedless of cost and sacrifice. With amazement, the Seleucid Greeks watched how this people stoically and heroically died for ideas, not possessions. Their disdain for the barbarian Jews, as they called them, 
changed to respect and awe. They could not understand this kind of war. It stood to reason that when a country's armies were defeated, its capital occupied, its king captured, its temple and gods smashed, the people would submit as a matter of course. But these Jews did not submit. As each Jew carried his temple in his heart, the Seleucids ruefully realized they would have to kill all of them in order to kill their religious ideas. At first, Antiochus thought, did not think much of this rebellion. He sent a small crack expeditionary against the Maccabees to teach them a lesson. The Jews annihilated it. Stung by this unexpected defeat, Antiochus assembled a huge first-rate army and marched at the head of it against Jerusalem, confident as he was of victory. But in 164 BC, the Jews shattered his armies and recaptured Jerusalem. The temple was purged of all idols and rededicated to God, giving birth to the feast of Hanukkah, which celebrates this victory. I'll confess that I procrastinated writing this sermon by making recycled candles to give as gifts using the leftover wax from my chalice while listening to the last few chapters of Harry Potter. This is true. But it strikes me that this is inadvertently a good metaphor for the story of Hanukkah, a story about an unyielding commitment to hope and freedom and ideals, no matter how powerful and terrifying the opponent, an unlikely victory, finding that there is more light possible, that the flame can burn far longer than imagined. The funny thing about Hanukkah, or at least the fact that it has been marketed as a kind of Jewish Christmas chocolate gelt and blue and white tchotchkes sold alongside Santas and snowmen at CVS, the funny thing is that Hanukkah isn't actually a big deal, at least not as Jewish holidays go, not like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, not like Passover, and certainly not like Shabbat. I've heard many a rabbi point out that the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar comes not once a year, but once a week. For the most important holiday, the most important holy day is Shabbat, a day for rest and prayer and family, a day, a day to stop all work and simply be in the presence of the love that surrounds us. And that is to be done every week from sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday. So why is Hanukkah a holiday at all? Unlike Christmas, which is certainly biblical, but perhaps less historical, Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday not accounted for in the Hebrew Bible. 
and it commemorates a known historical event, as I read to you. Surely, latkes, those fried potato pancakes hearkening back to the abundance of oil, are worth making at least once a year. And so many communities and religious traditions have festivals of light in this darkest time of year. But still, what significance does Hanukkah hold? Like so many things, I'm sure it holds a different meaning to every person you ask. And I'm sure many of you have Hanukkah memories of your own. Maybe you'll share them. Here's one interpretation. Several weeks ago, I went to a storytelling event that an organization called Fugitive Productions puts on. They do moth-style storytelling events where different people have about five minutes to tell a story on a theme. And the theme that night was observation and imagination. One of the storytellers, who I think was named Aaron Wolf, but I could be wrong, told a story that stuck with me. But it wasn't recorded and I didn't take notes, so this is my imperfect retelling of his story. Wolf told of driving his young son to get soup dumplings, one of their favorite foods, and one that he pointed out is certainly not kosher. And from the back seat, his son asks, Dad, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? Wolf then began narrating his frantic parent internal dialogue to the audience, his mind going in circles trying to answer a question that is at once so simple and so complicated. He thinks of his Jewish grandfathers and the answers they would give. On the one side, he is an atheist whose family escaped the Holocaust, who doesn't believe in miracles, but insists on the importance of Jewish identity. And on the other side, he has a religiously observant grandfather who would give an entirely different answer. One about God and a temple and a miracle. But Wolf doesn't know how to explain genocide to his son, nor does he know how he feels about God. He doesn't have an answer. Dad, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? It is such a simple and yet complicated question. And he describes looking in the rearview mirror at his beautiful son who already knows their gender queer, who is wearing their favorite colorful leggings covered in stars. And finally, in response to this question, he says to his son, because sometimes being different makes us feel brave. The story of Hanukkah told in our reading, the story of the Maccabees and King Antioch, who rabbis called the wicked, that story is one in which the Maccabees' fierceness and bravery was born from their difference and their commitment to it. It was born from a religious identity that wasn't based on idols or temples or kings. It was simply part of who they were. They were different, 
and they refused to be forced into some conqueror's idea of who they should be. And in this story, it was that commitment to their religious identity, to their sense of who they were and what they believed that gave them enormous and awe-inspiring power. It was improbable and unforeseen, and yet they mustered a power that broke the violence of those who sought to oppress them. Because sometimes, being different makes us feel brave. Then, as the story goes, the Maccabees went back to their temple, restored it, and rededicated it to their God. But they found they only had enough oil to burn for one night. But they lit it anyways. They had faith enough for that, and they found miraculously that the light lasted for eight days. Our UUA president, the Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, in her holiday message, described this as the resilient hope of people who lit the lamp knowing there was not enough oil. She names the importance of rooting ourselves in faith when the fight seems impossible, remembering all the stories of light in this season of darkness. So maybe you'll light candles as Hanukkah begins next Sunday, or maybe you've been lighting Advent candles all month, or putting up Christmas lights, or lighting a chalice at home. What helps you remember that more is possible? Maybe you tell the story of Jesus and the manger and that holy guiding star. Or maybe it's the story of the unlikely Maccabees and their undying oil. Or maybe it's Harry Potter and the magic that love and loyalty forever surpass the power of evil. Or maybe you tell the story of our own chalice, of a refugee named Hans Deutsch and a Unitarian minister named Reverend Joy, who used the stamp of a flaming chalice as a beacon upon the travel papers of terrified people. Their creative audacity, a courage born from faith that made freedom possible for, for those who were persecuted. Whatever it is, whatever story reminds you of who you are and how you were made, of the faith that guides you like a star through the night, that roots you to your history and your unyielding courage. Tell the story, light the flame, share your spark, because sometimes being different makes us feel brave. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org or visit us in person. All are welcome.